my personal wish for this is to be in a place, honestly, where we can take care of each other, not just of the planet, but to just respect one another. We've seen quite a lot of issues in terms of social injustice and treatment of the human race. So my wish is that we all connect and bond together in a much better way. And I think ESG and sustainability has the power to do that. Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realization that sparked the idea. Before It Happened is a show about that idea. I'm Donna Laughlin, and each week I'll take you on a deep dive into a singular light bulb moment that inspired the visionaries to push forward and change our lives. On this podcast, you'll hear from innovators from an array of industries and philosophies who imagined and are still imagining the future. Grab your passport and let's go on a journey together. If you've been listening to this podcast lately, it's likely you noticed a trend. We've been talking about environmental sustainability and social responsibility, reducing the world's reliance on animal agriculture through producing cultured meat products, tracing an ethically sourced food supply on the blockchain, talking about human rights and ethics in the global tech industry, and bringing diversity to the workplace and the space frontier. So it's only natural that my discussions would lead me to a second ESG expert, Eddie Soffer of Interactive Brokers, a wealth management firm that specializes in environmental, social, and corporate governance investing, commonly known as ESG. Eddie was a pioneer in the field of impact investing and talks to us this week about how investors, particularly among the millennial and Gen Z demographics, increasingly drive change by voting with their wallets. But first, we go back to the beginning before it happened for Eddie. Eddie had a unique multicultural, cross-continental, multilingual background, which helped him develop empathy and curiosity. And he continues to ask big questions about how we can all do better. Eddie, tell me about where you grew up. What do you consider home? I consider home many parts of the world, honestly. I was born in Mexico City, but my background is Middle Eastern, both through Lebanon and Egypt and Israel. My parents immigrated to Israel. And then they came to Mexico, and that's where I'm from. And then we moved to America when I was 12 years old, directly from Mexico. And what was your first insight or impression of America? You know, when I was growing up in Mexico, we used to have like cable TV, and I would see commercials on certain products and toys. So it looked like, to me, it was like a big shopping mall. That's the way I saw it. It's like, wow, all these products and America was like this big, big country. Once I came here, that's the way that I felt. But it was a bit of a rough transition coming from a different country. I knew English pretty well, but talk about a culture shock, right? So I went from in Mexico having everything in, in English and obviously Spanish classes to coming here and it was all English and Hebrew. And the way that the that yeshiva worked is half the day would be English classes and half the day would be Hebrew. Wow. All of it. So yeah, it was a bit intense in terms of the adjustment. What do you think you learned from that experience? I mean, really having to be agile and being a chameleon. I mean, how did you take that and then apply it in your career that you've established? You know, when I first arrived, I didn't really know how to speak Hebrew very well. So I, I had to learn it and to adapt and change. 
So that's something that I've carried to my career. Whenever there are things that seem insurmountable or challenging, I always remind myself of the time when I first arrived and I was able to do it in such a, in a great way, kind of like facing your fears. And once you go ahead and face it, they're not really as bad as you think. I think we create movies in our head of worst case scenarios. And a lot of the times they don't materialize. So just go full force and do the best thing you can. And you'll see that you'll surprise yourself how well you can do it. Eddie's international background led him to study political science, international relations, and eventually finance. So I went to college here in the city in New York. It was awesome. And I wanted to continue further. Then I left from New York to go to Washington, D.C., because what other place, you know, can you go to to become a diplomat than there? And uh, did my graduate studies there. I applied for a, a Master of International Relations, but then I was exposed to, to business, right? So I had some business classes and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like I've never really studied finance. I never really knew much about it. Let me like put my feet into that water and see what it feels like. And I, I loved it a lot. And so I decided to pursue another degree. So I got to an MBA and an MA, the MA in International Relations and the MBA in International Business Finance. So what was your first job out of college? Sure. When I was in in graduate school, I was doing an an internship for a company that it's pretty much a lobbying job. So it was a big multinational in Washington, D.C., and there was an an element of of a global presence as well. They had operations in in Europe and Latin America. So that kind of gave me the exposure of being in a company that has international components. And then as soon as I finished grad school, I moved to Boston and I started working for a bank. So this is pre-ESG era. Correct. So let's talk about going from banking finance into the the ESG era. Absolutely. So one of the things that I try to live by, even up until today, is capsule sort of a consciousness, spirituality, lifestyle, right? To To me, it's important. You know, I'm not perfect, but I continue to learn every day. And so working in finance all these years, although it was interesting and sometimes stimulating, it wasn't fulfilling. There was always something missing. Like, what is the purpose of of all of this? Like, what am I doing with all this? What's the end goal? How am I helping society? How am I helping others? There was always that element that was lacking. So my prior position, my prior company, I was in a conference in Latin America, and I heard someone that's a, a leading force in sustainability talk about it, talk about ESG, which I'm sure some of your audience knows, but it stands for environmental, social, and governance, right? And they started saying, okay, this is how companies within the financial sector can start incorporating sustainability or ESG into their overall operations. And that to me was kind of like an aha moment. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, seriously, this is out in the workplace. You can actually integrate this into what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. So that's when you know I became really fascinated with ESG at a time where very few people knew about it and it really wasn't discussed much. And if it was, it was more like sort of like a charitable giving part of a business, sort of like a non-for-profit, which is an amazing thing to have, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't mainstream. It wasn't tied to returns or risk or how do we incorporate that into the overall strategy of a business. And were you working for the Bank of Boston then, or is this a different job? Yeah, I was a Brown Brothers Harriman prior to that. So let's talk about that because you know, you're at the established company, you go to, to South America, this international lens, right? And you hear about ESG for the first time. How did you take that back to your employer at Brown Brothers, Harriman, and Mm -hmm. 
be able to take what sparked and ignited you and then and taking it. So did you take it back and upsell it to them or how did you use that now in, insight to USG in your role? So as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, I need to bring this back to my firm right away. But there was an incubation period, right? Like it sparked an interest, but I didn't know enough yet. So I had to learn more about it. I need I needed to go out and study it. Back then, there was not a lot of information on websites, you know, like there is today. I mean, almost everywhere you go, you type in on Google sustainability and you'll get thousands and thousands of pages. Back then, it wasn't like that. So I needed to go to areas that were reputable, areas where I can search environment, social governance, studies, you know, what are the things out there that prove that this is good for business, that's good for the planet, that could, that's good for return. So I literally self-taught all this information. And I remember just printing hundreds and hundreds of pages. It's not very um, environmentally friendly. I, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> to just understand what is this all about and, and where is the future? And with that information that was armed and put in a much better position to pitch it to the partners at Brown Brothers Harriman. And so I put together a deck and created my own roadshow internally. And this is something that I really believe is the future. It's the future of finance. It's the future of every industry. And I would love to present my ideas on how we can do this at the firm. And that proposal encompassed two pillars. One is how to incorporate the elements of ESG into the firm itself. And then also how do we incorporate it into the solutions and products that we offer our clients? And yeah, so I, I was off on my uh, on my journey, so to speak. So how did you make the transition from your position at Brown Brothers and Harriman and realize it's time to make a pivot? It's time for me to move on and be a more of a crusader. And what was that transition period like? And, and when did that happen to go from, the, from that company to Interactive Brokers? When I was at Brown Brothers Harriman, it's something that really struck a chord with me and Although I was able to definitely move the needle and get them going on their journey, it's something that I wanted to do full-time. Like this is my passion and I want to go all the way. And there wasn't an option to to do it full-time. So I'm like, okay, I have to go somewhere. And to a place where I can bring even more ideas and do it at a bigger scale. And that's where I found the opportunity at Interactive Brokers. And that happened in December of 2019. So I interviewed with Will Petterfee, who is the director here at Interactive Brokers, and embarked on the journey. And this was an even bigger opportunity than at Brown Brothers Harriman because I was coming into a firm that is publicly listed, that is well-known as one of the top brokers. And we had to start from zero, honestly, and, and set up the group from its infancy all the way to where we are today. And what do you think the difference was between the era where it was a trend, so to speak, to ESG is here. It's established in interactive brokers. I have the opportunity to, as you said, kind of curate a whole kind of organization. What do you think transpired in that period in terms of going from an idea to an actual movement? Yeah, and I think it continues to become even stronger and stronger. But what starts to move the needle is that there is a new generation of consumers. There's a new generation of investors and stakeholders, the younger generations, right? I mean, I'm not of the very young generations, but I still care a lot. So there are people in my generation that are sustainable and conscious, but the millennials and the Gen Zs are the ones that are leading the force. They're growing up. It's the power of the wallet. They're speaking their mind and they're letting others know that this is something they deeply care about. As a result of that, there's an even bigger force coming from the top 
right? Which is companies. They're like, wow, we need to capture this market. So we need to start listening to what all these people are saying. So let's talk a little bit more about the Zoomers and the millennials. Can you share with me why are they so values driven compared to other generations? So the big opportunity is that there's this massive transfer of wealth. I don't have the exact figures, but they're estimated to be around 60 trillion, right? That's going to be transferred from the boomers to the millennials. And that's just transfer of wealth. That's not even what the millennials are doing on their own, making their own money. So there is an incredible opportunity, and this is global. It's not just here. I feel that this this generation is much more outspoken than ever before, and it's because we're seeing so much happening in the world that I feel like they they don't want to just stand back and inherit the present condition. They want to really change it. So they're seeing a lot of climate change incidents happening globally, more hurricanes, more storms, more disasters, more emissions into the environment. And they're realizing that this is not the kind of planet they want to inherit, right? So I think that's that's part of it, but we're also seeing other things that are taking place, like war, terrible, what we're seeing today with Ukraine and others. But this is also bringing ESG more to the surface where people are starting to realize, my goodness, look at what's happening, one country invading the other, and, and it makes you think, wow, how am I treating my fellow human person? How am I treating animals and plants and the earth? So all of that, comes together into a package of, of sustainability that they're voicing loud and clear with the power of their wallet. Speaking of that package of sustainability, Eddie and his team at Interactive Brokers design an app or trading platform for individuals and institutional investors to track their portfolio using 13 different values. Let's go back to the inception of impact. How do you decide what the app was going to be, this pl- powerful platform is going to be. It's really more than an app. It's an extremely powerful platform. I've used it. It's really fun and engaging. And I showed to my kids and, and and they find it. So the next generation of investor, I think, will find the kind. But what was the process that you went through? And you have 13 different value important values. How did you come up with 13? Yeah, Donna, thanks for that. Impact, it, it really is a labor of love. So the way it all started is once we set the vision of the group and what our goals were for the next year, we focused also on products. And we decided to build something called the Impact Dashboard that came before the Impact App. And the Impact Dashboard resides in our more sophisticated trading platform. That came about sort of step taking a step back and say, how can we create something that differentiates us from anybody else out there with a product that's very unique. And my belief, Donna, continues to be that products are becoming customized and personalized. We're all very different, right? Together, we're humans, but individually, we all have our own DNA, our own fingerprints, our own sort of personal preferences. And so this is what the personalization and customized journey comes in as it relates to the impact dashboard. So we said, okay, let's let's think about how do we start a journey that can become unique and close to your heart? And so this is where the 13 values came about. They were inspired by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which hopefully um, a lot of people have heard of. There are 17 of them, and they all fall into the buckets of ESG. 
And those range from climate to, to diversity, equity, and inclusion, to governance issues. So we took a look at those. And then we also took a look at SASB, which stands for the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. It's a non-for-profit organization here in the U.S. that also provides guidance to companies on how to report on sustainability. So those two forces inspired us to create the 13 values that we have in the app. The number 13, obviously, it just happened. We just felt that that is the number that includes everything we felt is relevant in terms of personal values. And the app itself, we dove in a little bit deeper than some of the other things that are out there. We have like racial equality, LGBTQ inclusion, pure water, clean air, ocean life. So there's a lot of different elements that fall into those three buckets. And we're very proud of those 13 values. And what's even better is that they're unique and they're proprietary to us. So we'll be able to adapt them and change them as the market also continues to change. So you have the agility into as cultural social demand changes a request. Have you actually heard from customers asking for certain values? As of yet, I think all of them are pretty pleased with what we have because I think it's all encompassing. So we're good now, but we're very open to to changes, of course, in the future and to further dissect some of the existing values. So is there an actual industry ESG standard now in terms of compliance and and regulatory? Because I read an article in the Harvard Business Review and it said that ESG is hard to measure. And so I'm curious, is there a uniform standard? Is there a standard set of protocols and measurements and accountability businesses need to establish? So I would say, Donna, it's, it's a very good question. And it, it's one that continues to be a challenge for the, the sector and the industry. There is no standardization just yet, right? So uh, a lot of people that I hear from on, on ESG, it's funny, even I talk to my friends, they're like, what's ESG? What, what is that? So there's, it's almost like an alphabet soup. There's so many different acronyms. Some people refer to it as sustainability. Then there's impact investing. Then there's ESG investing. Then there's uh, quite a number of non-for-profits out there that provide guidance. That There's SASB, there's a TCFD, there's GRI. And so there is not one standard yet. And that adds a lot of confusion, right? So for investors like yourselves and others that are trying to just get started, like what framework do you follow? How do you know which one is better? Which one is worse? How is it changing? So that is something that continues to be addressed. And I believe that there's going to be a solution very soon because it's becoming a worldwide issue. And it's also coming from the top of the house. I call it from the regulatory environment, right? They need to sort of step in and create more order from the chaos, right? And that that's already happening. Europe, for example, is much more advanced in their sustainability journey by nature. That, that's always been the case. You have countries like Denmark and Finland and Sweden and Switzerland that are definitely years ahead than the United States. So the EU itself already has regulatory requirements for companies that are publicly listed or even instruments, right? That tells them exactly how to disclose on sustainability elements. That is coming to the US very soon. And this is something that I've talked about probably for like seven or eight years. This is becoming part of the regulatory environment. And sure enough, the SEC just mentioned a few weeks ago that they're intending to put some regulations on how to disclose on climate for companies to start talking about scope one, two, and three. So standardization is, is on its way and it'll be here in the near future. So why is the US lagger in this? I feel it's just cultural, Don. I think in Europe, I believe there's much more uh, maybe 
social consciousness. I'm not saying it's not in the US, it's just taking a little bit longer. But I do feel that now that we have the generations of like millennials and Gen Zs and others that are being much more vocal, that's why we're advancing further ahead. But it, I think it's it's just the cultural differences of, of the two continents, honestly. So why the regulatory things are coming into alliance? I just want to talk about greenwashing because that's a term I often see. What does it actually mean? And what should companies be aware that want to deploy an ESG platform and strategy internally? Yeah, definitely. Greenwashing is something that you hear quite a bit and you definitely don't want to be called a greenwasher. So that means that certain institutions or companies put out products or put out strategies or put out their mission stating that they are offering ESG-friendly funds or ESG-friendly strategies or products. But when you start peeling the layers, they're not really sustainable products, right? So it's kind of like you're not being genuine about your messaging. I think that's what encompasses, not being truthful about how you're communicating your sustainability strategy into the workplace. So these days, I feel like any company that starts an ESG journey or either by products or incorporating into their overall firm need to be very genuine. You need to walk the talk. You need to demonstrate that you are committed to the space. So if you are putting out a product, you need to show on the firm side that you are walking the talk. You're definitely doing what your app is saying that it's going to be doing. So that's something to be very mindful of. And I think companies are starting to become more aware of this, even more so today, because through social media and other platforms, people can definitely see through those elements. So it's becoming more and more of a message that needs to be refined, fine-tuned, and, and leaders are starting to focus on that more and more. Is this a topic at conferences such as like the World Economic Forum? Is this something that we'll be seeing more into those types of discussions? Absolutely. And I, I think, Donna, the way I see it, it's going to be in, in major conferences globally. Being on the world stage today means you have to be genuine. I think you're seeing it in everything, not just in ESG. And so being honest about what you're doing and being frank that you are genuinely on a mission to help the planet and help society is going to become of utmost importance. And you're seeing it like with, you just mentioned the World Economic Forum, but also with the Paris Accords and with other agreements that are being announced globally. Hey there, it's Donna. I want to invite you to go check out some of our past conversations with game changers and innovators who are shaping our future. Recently, I spoke with Deb Donick, who's teaching future tech leaders about building ethics into everything they create from day one. Before we can build anything, we first have to imagine it. And so it matters how we imagine. What kind of imagination we have as a world is not absolute, it's not inevitable. We actually come at that idea of a better world with a lot of passions and blind spots and biases. I learned something, actually a lot of somethings, every time I talk to a new guest. They're pioneers, they're thought leaders in their fields. They all have inspiring stories to tell and I share them with you every week so if you're enjoying these episodes, please hit subscribe and join me for more stories about the moments before it happened. So I want to talk a little bit about the equity and inclusion, because as ESG has gone from like the fringe to being kind of more leaning towards the best practices, 
equity inclusion are, are huge topics. And what used to be human resources and now people and culture, that alone is a shift, right? And how we look at hiring and how we look at hybrid networks. How do you build confidence in a very traditional, say, Fortune 500 company, but it might not be practicing ESG, as well as a young startup that doesn't know where to start? Where do they need to start to build that cultural diversity and inclusion? I believe it has to come from the top. It starts with a, with a C-suite, with the leaders of, of the firm, or even with people that are leading certain departments to be out there, communicate externally with all of your stakeholders, tell them what you're doing, what your journey is on about, and being honest about it, right? I mean, they don't expect you to be far advanced within a year, but just be honest about the challenges you're having and, and some of the things that you're seeing and how you plan to address them. One piece, Donna, is it has to start from the leaders. The other piece is also you have to get your employees to trust and for them to be your ambassadors to promote the message, right? So that also comes from the leader, but the employees themselves, once they trust what they're seeing, they themselves will naturally go out and start promoting the messages. So employees are also a big component. And finally, the the external pieces, which is partnerships. Align yourself with uh, like-minded companies, right? There's a lot of organizations within either private equity and financial services or in the fashion industries that are creating these non-for-profit organizations that demonstrate the genuineness of diversity, equity, and inclusion and committing not just dollars to causes and different charities, but also to volunteer, like rolling up your sleeves and, and going out there and volunteering in different places. So I think that the combination of those three pillars creates a lot of brand loyalty, a lot of trust, and a lot of excitement for DEI. Yeah, let's talk about the S in ESG. There's been a lot of discussion whether or not the, the social impact needs to represent and even be amplified more than it currently gives. What are your thoughts to that? I agree. Sort of like creating more social awareness between employees, creating like better benefits packages, inserting the element of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the other piece that I would love to see more discussed is employee relations. And it's more like human relations, what I call it. How do we treat each other in the workplace with respect, with openness, with, with care, trying to help one another instead of compete with one another, right? How do I help my fellow, you know, someone that I'm mentoring to climb up the corporate ladder? What can I do for them? That only helps to create a brand loyalty, but also it helps uh, to create better team environments, create better products, create better solutions, create new ideas. I think just creating this environment of inclusion. So inclusion is not just on the gender and also on the ethnic side, but also on just all of us together being inclusive and coming for one idea, one solution. And I think that's something that we need to start focusing on more. So let's talk about the power, the accessibility that this younger generation has when it comes to buying values. So fashion industry is one and luxury goods and food and making conscious and smarter choices. So let's talk about the fashion market. Just some of my own observations. There's a lot of maker environments online and offline, which I love where you can buy a locally sourced, handcrafted, sustainable goods. And I know that a lot of luxury brands are rethinking about how they manufacture, the content and the quality. What are you seeing within that marketscape? And as 
the young investors that are using Impact, what should they be looking for? It's a global movement. We'll focus on fashion, but I think it's across all industries. And specifically to to fashion, you're seeing many companies and well-known brand names listening to consumers and starting to sustainably source their products, right? And their clothes. So they're being more mindful of where the clothes are being produced to make sure that there's no human rights violation, to make sure that the people that are producing them are treated with respect, are paid fairly, that there's gender diversity amongst us. So that's kind of like on the human capital side, but also the sourcing of the materials. Is it sustainable? Where is it coming from? Certain brands are are announcing that they're no no longer using animal-based, such as leather. So that's going away, and that's kind of the luxury side as well. It's the same on the on the makeup industry. You're saying the same thing, sustainable makeup. So that that's definitely becoming mainstream, and it's going to continue to be that way. And not just on the luxury goods side, but it's also on the more kind of affordable side of the house. So it's just across the board, and that is responding to what the consumers are are demanding, frankly. And it's it's exciting to see that. And people in Impact can look at those brands within our app and see if it aligns with their own values, if they care about ocean life, if they care about gender equality, LGBTQ inclusion, they'll be able to type in the name of that company, if it's publicly listed, and see if those companies are aligning with what they care about. And if they're not, they'll see other companies in the app that rate higher on those particular things that they care about most. So there is a way not just as as a consumer, but also as an investor to align yourselves with the things that you are acquiring. So let's talk about another powerful thing that the Zoomers and millennials are using, which is crypto, cryptocurrency and investing. How do you support that within the Impact app? So we do have the availability for users to trade crypto. We have four of them right now. We do plan to expand that in the future at some point. And so that we feel is something that millennials deeply care about. So in the app itself, you have the opportunity not just to align your investments with your values, but also to donate charitable giving and also crypto as a big piece of it. And then you have the ESG philosophy on the corporate side. Is it a top-down, bottom-up? ecosystem? Are we both working in this together harmonically or where is there need for improvement to kind of drive it from both ends? I would say that the movement is pretty much a bottom-up approach. As I was mentioned earlier, this is the power of, of the consumer, not just through their voice, but through their money. And so that is driving everybody on top of the chain to start responding and creating products. In financial services, for example, you see massive companies like BlackRock and Vanguard and Fidelity, they're all responding to this by putting out ESG products in so many different ways. So that's already driving big players to to start acting. It's also driving the regulators to start doing things. And it's seeing it at the country levels. You're seeing it from presidents. You're seeing it, obviously, in our administration, also huge commitments to climate change, huge commitment to renewable energy. You're seeing it in Europe. You're seeing it in Canada. So even heads of state are paying attention, right? So this is a movement that I personally believe and passionately believe that it's not a trend. It's here to stay. It's the future. And there still needs to be a lot of improvements. As I was saying, standardization is a big one because people just don't know how to look and where to search. But I do feel that the the Impact app is an incredible opportunity to start your journey because it's so easy, it's so simple to use, it's very seamless, 
and very intuitive. You start with the things you care about, you, then you go to the areas you'd like to avoid, and then you're really off to the races. You'll, you'll be able to invest in companies that are recommended by the app. Now, we understand, obviously, that as an investor, it's not just the social return that you're looking for, but you're looking for a profit as well, right? So the app also offers opportunities to take a look at the performance side of the house, right? Before you invest in anything to see how that stock is performing. And again, it's not very difficult. It's very intuitive. So I'm excited and proud to have the Impact App out there as a tool that will assist people on their journey to sustainability. The other thing I think is just fascinating about Impact and, and what you've done is looking at the array of not just values, but the markets, right? So we talked about consumer, luxury, kind of retail stuff. But the voice that and the impact that can be now made within transportation and going from fossil fuels to EV to sustainable goods to food. And we've had a lot of food scientists on our show that are doing amazing things to disrupt the supply chain, right? And that's a big question. But do you have an example of in the food industry of you know something that you think is happening that is being driven by this whole ESG philosophy and thoughtfulness? Absolutely. It's interesting because you made the connection between like food and technology and other things. But yeah, I mean, the way that the, we approach the production of food and agriculture today produces a lot of carbon emissions. And it's interesting because that food also, if not grown sustainably or packaged in a sustainable way, can lead to health problems for us too. So it's almost like karma, right? You're, you're producing something that's not good for the environment. It might not be good for you to eat too, right? So we have to start being more mindful about those things. And what's exciting in the space is there's a lot of companies out there that are starting to create more sustainable products. I'm not a scientist, but the less ingredients, the better, right? Things that, that you feel like, okay, this is like almond butter. I mean, how many ingredients can almond butter have? It should only have almond butter. It shouldn't have all those other added stuff. And so it's, it's really exciting to see. One of my people that I'm also a fan of is, is Jason Karp. And he is the person behind the company, Human, I think it's HU, right? Hue, and you've heard of their chocolate bars. They sell them in many different places. And so he's, he's in charge of human company. And so he's leading this effort by producing very sustainable, very healthy products that can be delicious. So that's, that's already happening out there. And it's, it's really a space that is going to continue to be quite competitive again, because the younger generation cares about this kind of stuff. So don't think that it's again, a fad, it's going to continue to blow up in the next few years. Yeah, I always think that everything old is new again and kind of nostalgic <laughs> because my parents and then my grandparents were always very organic and sustainable and upcycled and did all these things that we kind of got really sloppy with. And then we're having to go back and clean it all up. Right. One of the other things that happened in the last couple of years was the, you know, the great resignation and people deciding that they wanted to do something different. What would you say to somebody who wanted to start a career in ESG? What is the skill set requirement and passion that you would recommend that they look at that as a, as a career? Somebody that's in college now or an entrepreneur who just decides it's time for that resignation to do something different. What would you recommend? Sure. And just taking a quick step back, I think that the great resignation, Donna, happened uh, as a result of the pandemic. People 
were just asking themselves, you know, is this what I really want to do? It's almost like life is short, so to speak. And I want to do something that inspires me, something that I feel passionate about. And I truly believe that's what started triggering all these great resignations. And it, it probably, I mean, I don't have the data, but I think it probably happened a lot on the, on the millennial side as well. So I'm excited to hear that right now sustainability is blowing up and there's a lot of people that want to get into the field. So somebody that, that is new, that's just starting, I would say amazing. This is incredible that you're starting on this journey. You're doing something that's great for the planet, great for society, but also great for yourself. So the first thing that I would recommend is for them to have passion. I think that that shows up. The field is still relatively new. So it's not like it's 50 or 100 years or it's been here for a long time like finance. Yes, maybe undercurrent it's been here, but it's not. it hasn't been in mainstream as long, right? So the, the element of passion is something that will definitely stick out. So bring that to the table. And just like, like I kind of did myself, although there's many more resources out there, Teach yourself about sustainability. There is so much out there. Our firm, Interactive Brokers, also has courses on ESG that are free. You can go in there and start learning about investing on ESG, where it came from, and also build yourself a network. LinkedIn is an incredible way to go in and, and look for people that are passionate about sustainability. Use your, your network. If, if you don't know someone that's in sustainability, but you are in, there's a second connection, a third connection, ask your first connection to introduce you. That's another great way of doing it. I've also seen... Quite a number of millennials and even students attend conferences. There are student discounts for quite a number of conferences that are taking place here in New York, also out on the in the West Coast, in San Francisco and San Diego and other places. Because sustainability is, as I was mentioning, mainstream. So there's a lot of events out there. So those things together will bring you into a, a good starting spot. I wish I knew this back in 2012. Yeah, for me, Donna, I would say I wish that I knew that this would make me a happier person. Even when I started pursuing it back in the Panama days, I didn't know it was going to be something that would really excite me and become so passionate and marry it to work. I mean, I had the aha moment, but I didn't know how it was going to work out. Am I going to be employed? Am I going to be around? Is this just a phase? If I knew that it was here for the future and it would like really be going, going mainstream, it would be amazing. And I'm, I'm happy that it is. And, and I'm excited to, to see where it continues to develop. And it's amazing to see so many people that are, are joining the, the forces for the better cause of the planet and our society, frankly. So it's, it's a good time to be in sustainability. Where do you want the industry? What is your, your view of where you want to see how far we have come? My personal wish for this is to be in a place, honestly, where we can take care of each other, not just of the planet, but to just respect one another. We've seen quite a lot of issues in terms of social injustice and, and treatment of, of the human race. So my wish is that, that we all connect and bond together in a, in a much better way. And I think ESG and sustainability has the power to do that. That was Eddie Soffer, ESG manager at Interactive Brokers and a driving force in the field of impact investing. He is also a champion of change and inclusion. A reminder as we enter Pride Month to have more compassion and acceptance and invest in brands and people that reflect diversity, which is one of the 13 values and a personal passion of Eddie's. Thanks to his influence, the landscape is changing. It's easier than ever to let your conscience be your guide when it comes to spending and saving. We can build a better world where what's good for the earth is good for business and therefore 
good for returns. And stay tuned for our next episode with Carlos Marrera, a former UN security advisor who is also passionate about designing a better future for humanity with the help of safer technology. Thank you for listening. Follow Before Happen on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin, along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood. And all episodes are written and developed by Susanna Camp, with additional editing and music provided by Noda Lab. <laughs>